0: Chapters 1 through 3 of The Torrents of Spring. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. The Torrents of Spring by Ivan Turgenev. Translated by Constance Garnett. Years of gladness, days of joy, like the torrents of spring, they hurried away. FROM AN OLD BALLAD At two o'clock in the night he had gone back to his study. He had dismissed the servant after the candles were lighted, and throwing himself into a low chair by the hearth, he hid his face in both hands. Never had he felt such weariness of body and of spirit. He had passed the whole evening in the company of charming ladies and cultivated men some of the ladies were beautiful almost all the men were distinguished by intellect or talent he himself had talked with great success even with brilliance and for all that never yet had the tedum vitae of which the romans talked of old the disgust of life taken hold of him with such irresistible such suffocating force Had he been a little younger, he would have cried with misery, weariness, and exasperation. A biting, burning bitterness, like the bitter of wormwood, filled his whole soul. A sort of clinging repugnance, a weight of loathing, closed in upon him on all sides like a dark night of autumn, and he did not know how to get free from this darkness, this bitterness. Sleep it was useless to reckon upon— He knew he should not sleep he fell to thinking slowly listlessly wrathfully he thought of the vanity the uselessness the vulgar falsity of all things human all the stages of man's life passed in order before his mental gaze he had himself lately reached his fifty-second year and not one found grace in his eyes everywhere the same everlasting pouring of water into a sieve the everlasting beating of the air everywhere the same self-deception half in good faith half conscious any toy to amuse the child so long as it keeps him from crying and then all of a sudden old age drops down like snow on the head and with it the ever-growing, ever-knowing and devouring dread of death, and the plunge into the abyss. Lucky indeed if life works out so to the end. Maybe, before the end, like rust on iron, sufferings, infirmities come. He did not picture life's sea as the poets depict it, covered with tempestuous waves no he thought of that sea as a smooth untroubled surface stagnant and transparent to its darkest depths he himself sits in a little tottering boat and down below in those dark oozy depths like prodigious fishes he can just make out the shapes of hideous monsters all the ills of life diseases sorrows madness poverty blindness he gazes and behold one of these monsters separates itself off from the darkness rises higher and higher stands out more and more distinct more and more loathsomely distinct an instant yet and the boat that bears him will be overturned but behold it grows dim again it withdraws "'sinks down to the bottom, and there it lies, "'faintly stirring in the slime. "'But the fated day will come, and it will overturn the boat.' "'He shook his head, jumped up from his low chair, "'took two turns up and down the room, "'sat down to the writing-table, "'and opening one drawer after another, "'began to rummage among his papers, "'among old letters mostly from women.' He could not have said why he was doing it he was not looking for anything he simply wanted by some kind of external occupation to get away from the thoughts oppressing him opening several letters at random in one of them there was a withered flower tied with a bit of faded ribbon he merely shrugged his shoulders and glancing at the hearth he tossed them on one side, probably with the idea of burning all this useless rubbish. Hurriedly thrusting his hands first into one and then into another drawer, he suddenly opened his eyes wide and slowly, bringing out a little octagonal box of old-fashioned make, he slowly raised its lid. In the box, under two layers of cotton wool, yellow with age, was a little garnet cross for a few instants he looked in perplexity at this cross suddenly he gave a faint cry something between regret and delight was expressed in his features such an expression a man's face wears when he suddenly meets someone whom he has long lost sight of whom he has at one time tenderly loved and who suddenly springs up before his eyes, still the same and utterly transformed by the years. He got up, and going back to the hearth, he sat down again in the armchair, and again hid his face in his hands. Why today, just today, was his thought, and he remembered many things long since past. This is what he remembered but first I must mention his name, his father's name and his surname. He is called Dmitri Pavlovich Sanin. Here follows what he remembered. 1. It was the summer of 1840. Sanin was in his 22nd year, and he was in Frankfurt, on his way home from italy to russia he was a man of small property but independent almost without family ties by the death of a distant relative he had come into a few thousand roubles and he had decided to spend this sum abroad before entering the service before finally putting on the government yoke without which he could not obtain a secure livelihood sanin had carried out this intention and had fitted things in to such a nicety that on the day of his arrival in Frankfurt, he had only just enough money left to take him back to petersburg in the year eighteen forty there were few railroads in existence tourists traveled by diligence sanin had taken a place in their by-wagon but the diligence did not start till eleven o'clock in the evening there was a great deal of time to be got through before then fortunately it was lovely weather and sanin after dining at a hotel famous in those days the white swan set off to stroll about the town he went in to look at daneker's ariadne which he did not much care for visited the house of goethe of whose works he had however only read werther and that in the french translation he walked along the bank of the mine and was bored as a well-conducted tourist should be. At last, at six o'clock in the evening, tired and with dusty boots, he found himself in one of the least remarkable streets in Frankfurt. That street he was fated not to forget long, long after. On one of its few houses he saw a signboard. Giovanni Roselli, Italian confectionery, was announced upon it sanin went into it to get a glass of lemonade but in the shop where behind the modest counter on the shelves of a stained cupboard recalling a chemist's shop stood a few bottles with gold labels and as many glass jars of biscuits chocolate cakes and sweetmeats in this room there was not a soul only a grey cat blinked and purred sharpening its claws on a tall wicker chair near the window and a bright patch of color was made in the evening sunlight by a big ball of red wool lying on the floor beside a carved wooden basket turned upside down a confused noise was audible in the next room sanin stood a moment and making the bell on the door ring its loudest he called raising his voice is there no one here at that instant the door from the inner room was thrown open and sanin was struck dumb with amazement two a young girl of nineteen ran impetuously into the shop her dark curls hanging in disorder on her bare shoulders her bare arms stretched out in front of her seeing sanin she rushed up to him at once seized him by the hand and pulled him after her saying in a breathless voice quick quick here save him not through disinclination to obey but simply from excess of amazement sanin did not at once follow the girl he stood as it were rooted to the spot he had never in his life seen such a beautiful creature she turned towards him and with such despair in her voice in her eyes in the gesture of her clenched hand which was lifted with a spasmodic movement to her pale cheek she articulated come come and he at once darted after her to the open door in the room into which he ran behind the girl on an old-fashioned horsehair sofa lay a boy of fourteen white all over white with a yellowish tinge like wax or old marble he was strikingly like the girl obviously her brother his eyes were closed a patch of shadow fell from his thick black hair on a forehead like stone and delicate motionless eyebrows between the blue lips could be seen clenched teeth he seemed not to be breathing one arm hung down to the floor the other he had tossed above his head the boy was dressed and his clothes were closely buttoned a tight cravat was twisted round his neck the girl rushed up to him with a wail of distress
1: he is dead he is dead she cried he was sitting here just now talking to me and all of a sudden he fell down and became rigid my god can nothing be done to help him and mama not here pantaleone pantaleone the
0: doctor she went on suddenly in italian
1: have you been for the doctor
0: Signora, i did not go i sent louise said a hoarse voice at the door and a little bandy-legged old man came hobbling into the room in a lavender frock-coat with black buttons a high white cravat short nankin trousers and blue worsted stockings his diminutive little face was positively lost in a mass of iron-gray hair Standing up in all directions and falling back in ragged tufts, it gave the old man's figure a resemblance to a crested hen, a resemblance the more striking, that under the dark grey mass nothing could be distinguished but a beak nose and round yellow eyes. "'Louise will run
1: fast, and I can't run.'
0: the old man went on in italian dragging his flat gouty feet shod in high slippers with knots of ribbon i've brought some water in his withered knotted fingers he clutched a long bottle neck but meanwhile emil will die cried the girl and holding out her hand to sanin
1: oh sir oh mine hair! can't you do something for him he ought to be bled it's an apoplectic fit
0: observed the old man addressed as pantaleone though sanin had not the slightest notion of medicine he knew one thing for certain that boys of fourteen do not have apoplectic fits it's a swoon not a fit he said turning to pantaleone have you got any brushes the old man raised his little face eh brushes brushes repeated sanin in german and in french brushes he added making as though he would brush his clothes the little old man understood him at last
1: ah brushes
0: spazzette to be sure we have bring them here we will take off his coat and try rubbing him
1: good benone and ought we not to sprinkle water on his
0: head no later on get the brushes now as quick as you can pantaleone put the bottle on the floor ran out and returned at once with two brushes one a hair brush and one a clothes brush a curly poodle followed him in and vigorously wagging its tail it looked up inquisitively at the old man the girl and even sanin as though it wanted to know what was the meaning of all this fuss Sanin quickly took the boy's coat off, unbuttoned his collar, and pushed up his shirt sleeves, and arming himself with a brush, he began brushing his chest and arms with all his might. Pantaleone as zealously brushed away with the other, the hairbrush, at his boots and trousers. The girl flung herself on her knees by the sofa and, clutching her head in both hands, fastened her eyes, not an eyelash quivering on her brother. Sanin rubbed on and kept stealing glances at her. Mercy, what a beautiful creature she was! 3. Her nose was rather large, but handsome, aquiline-shaped. Her upper lip was shaded by a little down, but then the color of her face, smooth, uniform, like ivory, of very pale milky amber, the wavering shimmer of her hair, like that of the Judith of Allorio in the Palazzo Pitti, and above all, her eyes, dark gray, with a black ring round the pupil's splendid, triumphant eyes, even now when terror and distress dimmed their luster sanin could not help recalling the marvelous country he had just come from but even in italy he had never met anything like her the girl drew slow uneven breaths she seemed between each breath to be waiting to see whether her brother would not begin to breathe sanin went on rubbing him but he did not only watch the girl The original figure of Pantaleone drew his attention, too. The old man was quite exhausted and panting. At every movement of the brush, he hopped up and down and groaned noisily, while his immense tufts of hair, soaked with perspiration, flapped heavily from side to side like the roots of some strong plant torn up by the water. You'd better at least take off his boots, Sanin was just saying to him. The poodle, probably excited by the unusualness of all the proceedings, suddenly sank onto its front paws and began barking. Tartaglia! Canaria! The old man hissed at it. But at that instant the girl's face was transformed. Her eyebrows rose, her eyes grew wider and shone with joy. Sanin looked round. A flush had overspread the lad's face. His eyelids stirred, his nostrils twitched, He drew in a breath through his still-clenched teeth, sighed. Emil! cried the girl.
1: Emilio, mio!
0: Slowly the big black eyes opened. They still had a dazed look, but already smiled faintly. The same faint smile hovered on his pale lips. Then he moved the arm that hung down and laid it on his chest. Emilio! repeated the girl, and she got up. The expression on her face was so tense and vivid that it seemed that in an instant either she would burst into tears or break into laughter. «Emile! What is it? Emile!» was heard outside, and a neatly dressed lady with silvery-gray hair and a dark face came with rapid steps into the room. A middle-aged man followed her. The head of a maidservant was visible over their shoulders. The girl ran to meet them.
1: "'He is saved, mother, he is alive!'
0: she cried, impulsively embracing the lady who had just entered. "'But what is it?' she repeated. "'I come back, and all of a sudden I meet the doctor and Louise.' The girl proceeded to explain what had happened, while the doctor went up to the invalid, who was coming more and more to himself, and was still smiling.' He seemed to be beginning to feel shy at the commotion he had caused. "'You've been using friction with brushes, I see,' said the doctor to Sanin and Pantaleoni. "'And you did very well. A very good idea. And now let us see what further measures.' He felt the youth's pulse. "'Hm. Show me your tongue.' The lady bent anxiously over him. He smiled still more ingeniously, raised his eyes to her, and blushed a little. It struck Sanin that he was no longer wanted. He went into the shop, but before he had time to touch the handle of the street door, the girl was once more before him. She stopped him. "'You are going,' she began looking warmly into his face, i will not keep you but you must be sure to come to see us this evening we are so indebted to you you perhaps saved my brother's life we want to thank you mother wants to you must tell us who you are you must rejoice with us but i am leaving for berlin today. day sanin faltered out you will have time though the girl rejoined eagerly come to us in an hour's time to drink a cup of chocolate with us you promise i must go back to him you will come what could sanin do i will come he replied the beautiful girl pressed his hand fluttered away and he found himself in the street end of chapters one through three